Welcome to the Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope, and I hope this encourages you wherever you're listening. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Oh, how good was worship? I wasn't prepared for the like gospel medley. I was like, okay. Fabulous. Um, Strong, strong choices, Kaz. Um, Well, as Mark said, today I am continuing our Relationship Goals series, looking at what our relationship with ourself looks like. As I tried to prepare a talk on what it means to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, I realised that I was probably doing everything but that. Like so many of us, without even realising it, I often act like my worth is tied to my output, like it's tied to the work that I do, to overthinking, overworking, overdoing everything. Whether it's the expectation to have a successful um, career or status, whether it's the need to look right or seem like you've got the right things, or perhaps even pressure from our families to financially provide and support them. There can be so many external factors that leave our relationship with ourselves right at the bottom of the pile. And as my diary got fuller, in a week full of complex pastoral needs, I just worked every hour that God was sending. And it wasn't out of pride. It wasn't because I think that working a lot makes us great. If anything, it was the opposite. It was out of worry, out of fear that there's just not enough hours in the day to get everything done. And if I don't get everything done, then what am I worth? What value do I have? What good am I? Now, even I know that that is a broken way of thinking and one that God in his grace is really gentle with me as he tries to prise my fingers off of this approach to life. But in the times where we're under the most pressure, have you ever noticed how old habits start to reemerge? And so I want us to treat this morning as a bit of a spiritual MOT as we come to look at the things in our life that are motivating us and how we can bring them all before God. So let me be the first to say that I am preaching to myself here. I want to get this right. I want to see myself the way that God sees me. So allow me to paint a picture of last night because last night was a hot mess. (laughs) I was trying and trying to write this talk, metaphorically banging my head against a wall to figure out how I could encourage you all at something I am so evidently bad at. And so eventually I laid down and I took a nap. <laughs> like, I just, I just went, I'm going to stop. I closed my laptop. I grabbed a blanket. I grabbed one of the 50 million scatter cushions that every woman has in her house. And I made myself comfortable. I gave myself 20 minutes to do absolutely nothing, which if you know me is pretty much unheard of. And because God can turn everything into a lesson, that 20 minutes of quiet became a beautiful time to reflect, to be very gently chastised, and to be reminded that a relationship with, our de- with ourselves that has been redeemed by God looks healthy, looks whole, and does not require a single ounce of performance or output. Amen? Amen. So we are going to pray and then we'll get into our reading as we seek God's voice on what it looks like to have a relationship with ourselves. Come, Holy Spirit. Meet with us again, Lord. Unpack for us what it truly looks like to live as daughters and sons, not servants and strangers. 
We set aside this time to hear from you. Amen. Amen. We'll grab your Bible, your iPhone, your tablet, the person next to you. Don't do that. They won't like it. Um, And we're going to head into Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. And they'll come up on the screens. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come on, we're still Anglicans sometimes. Um, I love this passage. It's literally written as this opening prayer to the church in Ephesus. More than simply an encouragement, it's like this grand blessing that draws them up in the story of God. Now, Ephesus was a city in ancient Turkey. It was dedicated to the goddess Artemis. It was her job to protect the city, to provide food and money so that the city would be well off. And yet, Ephesus and Artemis's grand temple, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, were captured on multiple occasions. I don't know that she did a very good job, but they continued to dedicate the temples to her. But it is worth noticing that Artemis was the goddess of fertility, of children and hunting, which means the picture of humanity that she set in worship was the definition of survival of the fittest. Young boys were forced to live and work in the wilderness as a rite of passage. They weren't allowed to return until they had taken the life of someone weaker. Girls weren't seen as anything more than people who could procreate and make more men. They had no rights in society, no access to education. This was a picture of ruthless survival, of humanity being reduced to brute strength, carnal instincts, and women as just objects. So as Paul goes around Ephesus, proclaiming a God who humbly emptied himself of power, who died on the cross in our place and who rose again to bring all things to unity in him, it would have been so countercultural. It would have been so far from what they thought God would be. They'd never heard of such a thing, let alone experience that opportunity for grace and redemption. And as drastic as that culture may sound, Those same principles exist today. They just have different shapes. They look like being defined by our work, our output, our supposed success. 
Yet none of those things can truly create a healthy relationship with ourselves because to have a healthy relationship, we need to be known by God. And I wanna point you to three truths that are found in the passage that I read out earlier. Three truths that should set the standard for what it looks like to truly love ourselves. And truth number one is that God chose you. Now say it with me, God chose you, amen. God chose you on purpose. Verses four and five say, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. One of the most loving things a person can do is choose you. We feel it when a partner chooses to commit. We feel it when a friend chooses to spend time. We even felt it when we were kids waiting to be picked at break time to be on someone's football team. Just me, I waited a long time. (laughs) But nothing shows just how much being chosen matters as its opposite. We know that being chosen matters because we know that rejection hurts. The fear of not being chosen is so big that people will stay in unhealthy relationships, jobs, thinking patterns, all because we are scared that if we put ourselves out there, we will not be accepted. It cuts so deep that we can minimise our sense of worth to simply avoid being rejected. Choice matters. Because it matters that God didn't simply tolerate our existence, but that he desires it. That before he made the world, he chose you. And he didn't choose you to simply exist. He chose you to be on his team. The verse says that out of love for you, he planned that you would live as children with a level of intimacy that he has with Jesus. Jesus who has always existed. Jesus who is literally a part of him. That is the closeness with which God desires relationship with you. You are not an accident. No matter the words that people have said over you or the way that they've left you feeling, because the one who spoke creation into being chose you on purpose. Furthermore, the verse continues that he did so in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Have you ever thought about that, that creating you brought God happiness? That you are his pride and joy, that you are valued by God. Isaiah 49 says, your name is written in the palm of his hands. When we look at Jesus on the cross, there aren't just marks in his wrist, but your very name. And I wonder this morning whether that truth is able to really filter down as deep as we need it to. Because if you've been in church for long enough, nothing that I am saying is news. You know this, you've heard this, you've been around it. And I feel exactly the same because I could tell you over and over again that I am loved by God. But when I'm overworking, when I'm being unboundaried, it points far more to performance and fear than it does to the assurance of God's love. For some of you, it might not be unboundariedness, but perhaps compromise. You find yourself prioritizing having a good time or buying the right stuff over making choices that are really healthy for you. And that tension leaves you feeling torn and disappointed. When we prioritise pleasing others or seeking their validation, as subtle as it may be, what we're often saying is that the most important opinions are those who are around us rather than God's. 
Because long before we did a single thing, God said that we are enough. God said that we are chosen and loved. And the good news is that by God's grace, we get to take back our self-worth from the people we've given it to. We get to say, teach me again, God, to see myself as chosen, to see my identity as secure in you. Whether you're an external processor or an internal processor, I want to encourage you to prayerfully examine just where your wealth comes from. When we come back to a time of ministry and worship later, would you be brave enough to ask God to reset just whose voice truly matters? Truth number two is that God redeemed you. Say it with me. God redeemed you. Now, I'm not being cheesy here. We're doing healthy self-talk in the moment before we leave the building. Let's start it now. God has redeemed your past, your present, your future. There is nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. So accept it and allow it to transform the very way that you see yourself. Verse seven says that in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. At the center of having a healthy relationship with ourselves is Jesus. It's all that he did on the cross and all that that means for us. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, our temptation, our brokenness, our pride, and he paid the ultimate price. To this day, the sins of your past, present and future are nailed on that cross too. You couldn't redeem yourself, but he could and he has. In the light of the cross, then you are a new creation. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old has passed, the new has come. And so rather than looking at us with judgment, God looks at us through the lens of the son that he loves. Do you look at yourself as someone that God loves? Do you allow God's grace to be louder than comparison or self-criticism? When you look at yourself, are there other voices that push his out? Because I want you to hear three really important words in that verse, and they are redemption, forgiveness, and grace. Redemption, it means that we were brought back. It's as if sin had taken us slaves. It had made us ransom and Jesus paid the price for our freedom. He paid it so that we wouldn't have half-lived lives, but lives defined by joy and hope and true humanity. Lives that are only possible when we walk in step with God. Forgiveness, you are forgiven. Every single mistake you've ever made, every bit of gossip, of anger, of lust, completely wiped clean. Some of you will know that I have a younger brother. His name is Miles. He's five and a half years younger. He's the better one of the two of us. It's fine. I think I may even have a photo of just how adorable he is. Can you tell I'm a big fan? Um, But it hasn't always been this way. Uh, When Miles was born, I was not very happy about it. I was five and a half years old. I was well settled into only child status. And I may have launched a full-scale attack for my parents' undivided attention. It began with small things like my mum asking me if I'd like to help feed him. And no word of a lie, six years old, replying, why? 
I didn't ask for him. It scaled up slightly to creative expression. Um, I can remember grabbing a reception school photo of myself, a red crayon, and scribbling all over it. Because as far as I could tell, if you didn't want to give me your undivided attention, did you even love me? The final stage, which my mum is still processing some 20 years later, and which you were all about to judge me for, is that one day I was playing with Miles in my toy buggy. And as I wheeled it to the the top of the stairs, I imagined what might happen if I just let go of it. I didn't do it, but I imagined what might happen. See the looks on your face? That's the judgment I was talking about. I didn't hurt him, he was a toddler. It would have hardly been manslaughter. Um, You can take the pictures off. And at the time, I thought it was all fun and games until I told Miles when he was a little bit older about the story because I thought it was really funny. And I watched how deflated and crestfallen my brother looked at the idea that his older sister might have tried to kill him. It was in that moment that I immediately felt a regret that I had not felt at the time. That I felt so bad at the idea that my brother felt rejected or unwanted that I begged for his forgiveness. I don't think I've ever said sorry as quickly as I said it to Miles. And my brother, ever the peacekeeper, forgave me for my temporary moment of madness. And we're basically joined at the hip now. In a wonderful twist of irony, I am probably the most overprotective sister that you will ever meet. And if your minds need pissing at rest, there is a second photo. He is very much alive and well. Look at his little face. He survived. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that, guys. You can take it down. I tell that story to say that nothing teaches you the value of forgiveness, like having to go to those who you really love and beg for their grace, beg for their mercy. Sometimes the person that we are most in need of forgiveness from is ourselves. It's like we can theoretically know that God loves us, but for whatever reason, we just can't let go of shame. We can't seem to wrestle our identity back from the things that we used to do or the mistakes that we can't go back and fix. And it leaves people stuck, unable to move forwards as they replay those moments on a loop. But God longs for you to know freedom. He longs for you to grab the forgiveness and grace that is on offer in Jesus and to leave them in the past where they belong. And when we take hold of God's grace, it changes everything. It changes how we see ourselves, how we treat ourselves. It calls us to act, to extend that love and grace to others. The writer Max Lucado says, Grace is the voice that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. God's grace is sufficient for you. It is enough to let go of all that has held you back, to put down all of the baggage that you are carrying. He wants to give you rest. And so truth number three is that God has called you. Say it with me. God has called. You guys, you got this. You are called to pursue unity. 
You are kingdom carriers. Verses eight to 10 say, with all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God has led us into his plans. He wants to bring all things to unity in Jesus. That means unity in creation, in relationship, in service, in justice. It looks like the church modeling what it is to be reconciled, both to our neighbors and to our enemies. And when we learn to have healthy relationships with ourselves, we stop acting out of scarcity and pride and we begin to act out of a spirit-filled wisdom as we pray and contend for a world that looks more in line with the plan that God has had from the very beginning. A world not fractured by sin, but made right through Jesus, the head of the church, the one whose spirit dwells within you. Because when we look around, we see a world that is exhausted, a world that is hurting. We see leaders whose words don't seem trustworthy, institutions that are broken and self-interested. And God calls us to let go of selfishness and shame so that we might be living, breathing examples of restored humanity of just what it might look like to lead lives that are truly free and open to all that God wants to do. As you go into your workplace, your classroom, your home, don't you long to bring others into a faith that is so much more than empty rituals and occasional attendance. One that draws every person into the restorative love of Jesus. Of the one who welcomes us into family, who covers our blind spots, who heals our brokenness. God looks at us and calls us sons and daughters but he also looks at us and calls us co-workers. Ones who were made whole in Jesus so that we can invite others into a way of being that is truly counter-cultural. Because it is neither self-obsessed nor self-deprecating. It simply overflows out of the love of God. You are chosen. You are redeemed and you are called. Amen? Amen. We're gonna take a moment now to pray and wait on God. So would you stand with me as we just make some space for him to speak back to us? Come Holy Spirit, meet with us Lord. We wait on you God. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's Saint Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you want to find out more ways of connecting or if you want to support the vision of Saint, you can head over to saint.church. For now, have a great week and we'll catch up really soon.